I'm Jasmine Falk Dickerson. Welcome. My guest comes to us all the way from Sweden. He plays guitar in the epic Nordic folk band Sver. He is a composer, performer, and teacher. Conversations with him touch upon so many aspects of life with social commentary and metaphoric anecdotes. Today, I want you to meet Adam Johansson. So most musicians really love to play music and jam together when they're not performing. Um, what I call what I do with Adam, most of the time, is intellectual jamming. I have never actually jammed with him in a music session just because he is so spectacularly phenomenal that I am super intimidated and would rather just watch. But when it comes to intellectual jamming, the conversations have taken us to so many different places, and it's so fun and easy to talk to Adam. He explores music in various veins. He talks about um, the Swedish culture and creates a really cool comparison between the Swedish culture and the American culture in various aspects of how society views the individual versus the collective, and also how that translates into art, into music, into collaborations, and all other forms of um, societal being. I hope you enjoy our colorful conversation and the various stories that Adam has to share with us. Here we go. Hey, Adam, so good to see you, uh, virtually, of course. Uh, I have to say, because I can see you virtually, most people, you know, except for the people in the room with me can't. I am extremely impressed with your high-tech video quality here. It's like being interviewed, like, you know, uh, interviewing someone like on a very fancy Hollywood set. So welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to chat. We have a lot to cover, a lot to talk about. I do want to start with the first thing, which is this madness of time and history that we're all living through, this COVID-19 stay-at-home uh, event, which is global. Uh, you are in Sweden. So maybe many of the listeners don't know that, but you are in Sweden right now. And in Europe, just like in the United States and other parts of the world, everyone is pretty much practicing social distancing and staying at home. So I just want to know briefly from you, I know that it's been really hard. It's been hard. It's getting harder and harder the more I talk to people. The first few weeks, people were like, yeah, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, this is kind of fun. I'm getting on Zoom. I'm talking to friends. And now it's slowly becoming like, I'm going crazy. So how are you doing? How are you coping? Uh it's been rough. Mm. I, I was thinking about that line from, uh, do you know the movie Zombieland? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I yeah. know the title, not the movie. Uh, there's this line. Where, so the, the the main character played by Jesse Eisenberg is this really uh, awkward introvert person who sits inside all the time. Uh, and he says, uh, like, the zombie apocalypse didn't do as much difference to him because he was already shut in. But now that people are gone, he kind of misses people. <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of how I feel. Oh. Uh, yeah, and that also leads into like the, the high tech stuff. That's how I 
uh, cope. Uh, I go up by uh, no, I don't go out. I order online mm-hmm. gadgets that mm-hmm. I can hook up and build the the hive mind in my my house. Yeah, growing that that digital empire, and we will talk a little bit about that because you're a techie when it comes to technology, especially with music and sound and all that. Um, one of the things that I wanted to know is. Now that it's getting harder and rougher, you just said that your way of dealing with it is, you know, ordering more techie things and updating and upgrading your uh, methods of communication. Do you find that you're a little more creative than you usually are with this isolation kind of forced space to go within? Or are you finding it harder to be creative? Uh, I think both. There's a vein of... uh... Uh, of creativity that kind of sparks up in in uh, art from from adversity is basically what I'm thinking. So while I'm home, I just make sure to have all of my instruments out so I can grab anything uh, whenever I feel like it. So I don't have to go through the process of hooking anything up. So everything is set to just push record. But on the other hand, it's just sadness and a big block and seeing seeing all the awesome stuff coming out almost get, makes you like a little bit self-conscious mm. yeah. yeah well yeah. because you, go ahead yes so i just try to get inspired and, and then just do it at my my own pace and I, i've been playing more fiddle at home now than in the last couple of weeks and that's that's springtime too it's getting fiddle season is approaching whatever season we may have now but yeah, yeah. well you you're, you said that you're starting to play or you're playing a little more fiddle <clears throat> excuse me than you normally do because uh, for those listeners who don't know you are a phenomenal guitar player guitar is your main instrument and so we'll t- definitely talk a little bit about the guitar i was as i was listening to you talk right now and i was getting ready to interrupt you because the thought was just like brewing in my head you uh, play a lot of music with your fellow Scandinavian uh, band members, Sphere, but you also have created amazing collaborations and also just friendships with a lot of musicians around the world and especially in the United States. Do you find it harder to communicate and collaborate with them, even virtually, because of the time difference? Because that's a huge one, I think, that could be interfering with um, a lot of friends around the world, is that time difference as well. Yeah, the time difference is is rough, especially because I have so many friends on the West Coast. So that's nine hours, uh, which makes it really hard. Uh, but I mean, that's and that's I think that's where the pain comes from too, because uh, I can I can manage like a year without like meeting and playing with my friends, mm-hmm. but uh, without that, it starts to get. Uh, hard. I need the acorns for the long winter. Yeah. Yeah. That makes so. sense. Especially because you're not even leaving the house. You know, it's one thing when you're leaving the house and everyday life distracts you. And then you can say, okay, well, I'm looking forward to the tour or the trip or the camp or whatever it is that you're doing. And in between, you're keeping busy with all the other everyday life. It's a little harder when we are isolated. Um, so, Sweden, you are from Sweden. You grew up in Sweden. I'd love to know a little bit about, um, well, first of all, 
this is complete basic Swedish or Sweden 101 for many of us because we can't even imagine what it's like to grow up there. And I know that you live in a different area from the more populated modern city areas in southern Sweden. You're a little further north. So just tell me a little bit about your childhood. What did that look like? And, you know, kind of the dynamic at home, um, yeah. just just a cultural exposure, if you will. Uh, so uh, I grew up uh, in Umeå. Uh, it's, if you follow the east coast of Sweden, get your Google Maps out. Mm-hmm. There's a little bump uh, on the east coast, uh, and that's Umeå, and uh, it's a it's the largest one of the largest city in the cities in the north, and it's still growing. So it's a big student town, college town. So a lot of people move in and, and out. So it's quite bustling. A lot of uh, cultural events. We have we have an opera house. Uh, there was a great uh, jazz club every thursday and yeah, so, so that's the that's the setting of the city so so really really good city to grow up in uh, uh, when you consider culture uh, and uh, yeah both mom and dad played um, mom sings and plays uh, flute and dad uh, plays keyboards and uh, a little trumpet but his favorite is the flugelhorn. I remember that growing nice. up. Nice. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, I can still remember. That's such a funny thing. Like music is such a weird thing. Uh, he did this. Uh, do you know? Do you have like a blanket from from when you grew up or oh, something, yes. or like a like a like blankie or teddy bear yep, that has that smell that makes you just want to even now, like thirty years later, you just want to curl up in a ball and like. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And for me, that's when I hear trumpet players warming up. That's my uh, curling up. That's when I know it was time for bed because that oh, wow. would put put me to bed, and then he would have to practice. He hates practicing, so do I. But he did it at night, and it sounded like da i i i i i and that for like the whole skate. Twelve notes is like <laughs> I go straight to bed when I hear that noise. It's weird. Uh, that's yeah. So music was always around. Yeah, that's one of the most beautiful stories I have heard in terms of making sense of that. You know that, like you said, the smell of the blankie or the smell of grandma or you know the, the sound of a trumpet. Like who knew that that could be the most soothing sound? And yet it was yeah. for you. That's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Now, so you you just said you listened to a lot of trumpets. So growing up, what kind of music did you listen to as a family? And then what kind of music did teenager Adam get into? Uh, so as a family, we had uh, a lot of road trips to our cabin in the woods. Uh, and that would be a, a pretty broad selection, but kind of like Stevie Wonder, Sting, Peter Gabriel, Earth, Wind & Fire, Nice. Uh, Stevie Wonder, there's all sorts of Motown, West Coast, a lot of Toto, of course. How? Jay Graydon, Airplay for the Planet, was my Bible for a very long time. Pat Metheny is a good one. Mm. Uh, so it was all this uh, sort of like poppy, jazzy, fusion-y uh, kind of deal. Uh, and then when I started to play the guitar, I uh, when I had done my, uh, my guitar uh, homework, that I got from my guitar teacher, uh, amazing guitar player from Umeå, Jonas Holmström, fantastic player. Uh, 
I, I uh, just turn on the radio and try to play, learn every song on the radio. Uh, I don't think I, I knew it at the time, but I was trying to understand like the, the, the hows and whys of music, I think. It's just, it was really soothing for me just to, to, to play that puzzle, what chord comes before that chord and after that chord. It was a really interesting game for me. It was just how I entertained myself. Uh, so once I got to to like music school and got to learn about the circle of fifths and and all the theory behind the music, I was like, ah, that's how it looks. Because I had a wow. different picture in my brain, and and then they wrote it so so concisely on the on the whiteboard, and I was just like, yes. So you were developing theory in your ear before you even could see the concept of it. Yeah, it was more mechanically. I knew chords, I knew the chords were together in a sort of system. But once I saw that system written out so neatly, uh, it was just mind blowing. I, I was so excited about how music old were you? Theory. How old were you when that happened? Uh, probably uh, like seventh grade. Okay, so about that. that 11, 12. I think something like that. Yeah, yeah that 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 is the age where true discoveries happen. It's like that yeah. mind blowing between the world of like you know childhood where everything is exciting and nothing seems out of the ordinary, and adulthood where it takes so much to excite and and you know and, and um, infuse enthusiasm in adults. It's like that in between where when something happens, it's so grand. And you did say that you were taking guitar lessons. Now, I do remember a little story that you once told, probably at 4 a.m. at Fiddle Camp, about uh, you playing the guitar and discovering Eric Clapton and trying to mimic an Eric Clapton either riff or tune. And you were so proud of yourself, you went to play for your grandmother. I want you to yeah. tell that story because <laughs> I love okay. that story. So there's this weird thing in in uh, in all of Scandinavia. It's it's the law of Jante. Uh, I recommend all of you to Google that uh, because it uh, gives a really like a good concise uh, understanding of why we are so weird in Scandinavia. <laughs> Spell that for us. Uh, the law of J A N T E. Perfect. Uh, so. Yeah, it's basically uh, you are nothing and the collective is everything. Oh, beautiful. So you shall not put yourself before uh, the collective. And it was, uh, I don't know the full story. It's a, it's, it's come from, comes from uh, a novel, I think, but it kind of describes how we uh, function. Uh, we're kind of proud, but kind of humble. Mm -hmm. Or we have to be humble. Uh, I, I remember there's so many like good stories about that. We had uh, people coming from a really fancy American school to, to my high school. Uh, and they asked directly, like, who's the best guitar player here? Oh. And our teachers were like, uh, well, they, they're all good in their own right. And they did the proper Swedish thing. And <laughs> the Americans couldn't understand why they just couldn't say, because they, obviously they knew. <laughs> who was the best guitar player right. but they have to like that's how we have to do we can't like put one before the others so uh, i got a crash course in that when i tried to play 
a song for uh, grandma. Listen, oh, I learned this. Uh, I learned tears and have a listen, listen. It's so cool. And I played it, and uh, grandma said, "Oh no, don't think you're. Don't get big in the head. <laughs> you just re- relax, sit down. Don't think you're special." Oh, yeah. So, and that's uh, yeah. It's so, it's a weird thing to be an artist in that sort of environment, but uh, yeah. But I'm, the reason why I love the story is because, first of all, the cultural ref- the cultural reference, the the way it allowed me to hear that and say, "Wow!" You know, the collective of we is so powerful when it is, you know, the priority. And at yeah. the same time, the story of your grandmother, who of course loved you, probably loved you more than anything in the world. Most grandparents are eager to completely, you know, make the best of their of their grandkids and make them even better than them or their parents, who are the grandparents' children. Yeah, but that's that's her way of taking care of me. She wasn't mean. Exactly. She was just like taking care of me, so I don't get picked on. If, if I go to school and I'm cocky and uh, yeah. like arrogant about it. Exactly. And that, that's what I think I loved so much about the story is hearing it from any other cultural perspective. It would sound like, whoa, like, why would we, you know, why would we shut a child up when they're, you know, glowing and they're proud of themselves? And yet she did it because she knew that that would be the way to have you part of the collective instead of you know, you thinking so highly of yourself going into a collective that wants to, you know, as, as an individual want to kind of stand out. And yet, you know, she was protecting you basically is what you said. And I, I found yeah. that to be really a beautiful thing. And I think most cultures, uh, traditional cultures have that. I think modern societies are losing that. And I, I love that there are opportunities through music where we can have these conversations and talk about these. So thank you for that. And as we continue that conversation about Sweden, how has it been for you as a Swedish artist touring the world, traveling so much and receiving more of the, you know, the fan base and the crazy compliments and all of that like hype? How do you receive that? How how does your upbringing and your cultural sense of being respond to that it's really hard for me mm-hmm. uh, i i have a hard time taking compliments uh so i, I try to for myself i try to angle it like uh, i'm i'm happy that they are happy so we together are happy so but by, by turning it into like a we are doing a happy together instead of me taking praise, I can kind of, in my brain, turn it into like a nice, comfortable space. Because you're an artist and not, you're not going about this being a performer only. You're going about this sharing something, sharing the art, sharing the music. And so in Sweden, where is the line drawn between art and performance? Uh, I'm, I'm curious to know how important art is to society and how it's presented in a preserved way versus the modern performance, social media, kind of all the hype and all the craziness that's happening to our modern society where there's no distinction between fame and, um, I guess, uh, you know, fame and actual true art. Hmm. That's a hard question. I mean, it, 
so in in I think we have this thing called the Swedish Swedish wonder of music. Um, we we are really proud of of the all the music we send abroad and and people like Robin and stuff people that make it big in in the states and all over the world. Uh, and and that comes from uh, a, a really uh, like a, a society building idea of like way back in the something 60s something a year somewhere uh, there was this idea called the the people's home folkhemmet uh, which is basically like everybody should have all their needs met and part of that building of society was everyone should learn how to play music so we still have that uh, uh, concept that's where i teach i work at a, a school like that so uh, it's uh, we just call it the music school so it can happen after school or during school hopefully we can continue with that uh, we're we're Kids just come and learn, play an instrument, 20 minutes, 40 minutes uh, per week. Uh, and yeah, I think that's that's why we have uh, a, like uh, proportionally a large export of music considering our small size as a country. Sure. So you are a music teacher, not only a performer, not only a recording artist, not only a composer and, and musician. I want to di differentiate those two things. Uh, let's talk a little bit first about the the teacher, the teacher part. Y you just said that you t teach at a school, a music school, the music school. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about the kids that you teach. Um, are you teaching guitar? Do you teach music theory? And what kind of relationship do you have as a teacher with your students in terms of where they grow, not just as you know, kids learning music, but how does that affect them as people in society? For me, it's it's a question of democracy. Mm -hmm. if, if you can't understand uh, the systems around you, uh, it's it's harder to communicate. And uh, so I think it's really important to have a, a basic language of music. And that can be like playing three chords on the guitar or uh once every 10 years picking up your trumpet or flute or fiddle and playing a tune with your kids or at a party or something just to have that way of expressing yourself is, is really important i think and and yeah i think it's important for people Agreed. to have that mm -hmm. and for uh for me in, in relations to my to my to my students i would just want to uh encourage and build them up uh, teach them as much as I can. I mean, their interest goes up and down. You know, all teachers have stories about all their all their students, and some some weeks are just rougher than others. But I just try to uh, have music be an outlet and a positive thing where they can do something else uh, with no pressure. Uh, and for the kids that really want to play uh, a lot and want uh, challenges, uh, I think that's really important too. Uh, I try to give them opportunities to play with uh, with older kids and playing concerts and stuff like that. So wow, you sound like an amazing teacher. I mean, I I will say it, true transparency here. The first year I met you was at a music camp. I had seen you perform a couple of times. I 
we listened to all the music. We got ready to, you know, get to know you guys. And I was pumped because I had just picked up the guitar and I had just started playing guitar. And um, no, now growing up, I played music by ear. I played piano and keyboard and a little bit of guitar and mostly drums. And so I was kind of trying to be cool again, you know, be that parent that you were just talking about that had an instrument that, you know, can kind of jam with their kids. And I came to the first class that you were teaching guitar at camp. It was at Valley of the Moon. And I never came back with my guitar. I came back just to observe and to watch you because what I was getting was so much more by watching you and observing you. And what you're describing with what you do with your students, which is that, you know, that space in which creativity happens, whether they're choosing to take it on and go with it, or if they're just being inspired and they're um, creating this kind of space where everyone safely grows. Um, it seemed like a really, really, it, it, I mean, it just seems like something beyond just being a music teacher and standing in front of your students and teaching them. And so from that, I guess my next question is, if not music, if it's not music that we're working with, and if you hadn't chosen the path of music, what other way do you think you would have expressed yourself and what other path would you have taken? Hmm. That's a toughie. It's kind of always been music that's been around. I think... I, I don't think I would make it, but I would at least try to be a chef. That oh. that's that would be the because it's kind of the same thing. Like you're trying to make something communal that's nourishing, uh, and 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 do it as an art form. Yeah, I think I think I think I would try to be a chef. I think I'd get burnt out the first week and kicked out of the kitchen probably. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah. You'll have to forgive me. I have to say this because anyone listening to this that has gotten through their heads that you are Swedish and you saying you're a chef, you know that they're going to think of the Swedish chef on, on the Muppet show, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I could do that. Maybe that can be a marketing strategy. Maybe that's part of my brand now. <laughs> the Swedish chef guitar player. So I, in the past, you have talked about your love for your guitar. You have a beautiful guitar. It's a gorgeous specimen, and it sounds spectacular. Tell me a little bit about the guitar, because I think the art of music, a lot of musicians maybe don't think that highly about the instrument as much as what comes out of the instrument, but I think there is a relationship sometimes with the actual instrument and a reason why. There's always a story. Yeah, for for me, for the longest time, I I just viewed guitars as disposable. Mm. I gave a guitar maybe five years, and then I knew I had to switch because it would be like basically kindling. Because oh. uh, uh, I I'm a smasher. I play really hard and uh, pretty thick gauge strings, and play outside, inside, hot, cold, humid, dry. Mm. And so I, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> My guitars get pretty beat up, uh, but uh, yeah. So my so my my baby now is uh, built by David Sundberg, uh, amazing guitar player uh, or guitar builder, luthier. Um, Ryan Adam Ryan Adams has one of his guitars. Mm. I think Keith Richard has one. Whoa, Anna Brun and yeah, he's a big deal. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> 
he builds beautiful instruments. But I never thought it would be something for me because, uh, yeah, I figured guitar, a guitar is a guitar is a guitar. It's fine. But uh, I was uh, visiting a, a friend and he had just got a new guitar built by David and uh, I was visiting him kind of just dropped in and said hi and he didn't have time to hang out so he just put that guitar in my lap and said you have fun with this I'm, I have some stuff to do <laughs> and he came back like two hours later and I was still like noodling and playing and like oh, ah, what's going on <laughs> I never that was like the first time I tried a guitar that was really yeah that gave me that feeling of mm, i want more of this sound did you take it home with so, you that night no i uh i uh sent an email to the builder and he was very accommodating and i got to visit his shop and uh i played for him and we talked about uh you know ideals and i said i just want a guitar that's louder than 10 fiddles <laughs> he said whoa <laughs> I don't think, well, maybe I'll yeah. try. Mm -hmm. And he did it. It's yeah. a, it's a beast. The one he built for me. It really is. Is it the one you played in, in Olympia last time you were here? No, no. So, but it's the one you played in the stay at home festival recently. Yes. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I had some trouble with the airline smashing it up. But... So, so you're not taking it with you when you travel. No. Yeah, I don't blame you. Yeah, it, it is a treasure. It's your baby. You that's how you introduced it to us just now. It's your baby. Yeah, it, yeah, and anthropomorphizing uh, inanimate objects is not a good thing, but <laughs> hey. But you're creating with it and that's that's the most important thing. Yeah, and it's so hard because once you get into that granule like nerdiness of instrument building and he built it specifically for me my body shape and my playing style you can't just like pick up a new one right it's, it's one of a kind yeah it is it's, it's one a of a kind place. and yeah. you also play you said earlier fiddle and uh i know you play accordion um what other instruments do you play besides singing also uh i play a lot of piano at work now okay. uh, which is fun i don't uh i'm not a great piano player but i I enjoy it very much. Do you teach multiple instruments to your students or are you focused primarily on guitar? Uh, I teach guitar, bass, drums, uh, piano. Oh. And then I have, uh, some, sometimes I conduct the orchestra and I arrange for the orchestra. So with orchestra, do you, do you play, do, are the kids playing classical music or are you playing also some contemporary music? We're trying to, to mix it up. So one semester we could do like, uh, like film music, film scores, and classical music Ooh. the next semester, and then we do folk music, and then we do pop. Yeah. Uh, do yeah, you ever so play original? And do you ever play original compositions with them? Uh, no. Why would I do that? Because to put myself before the collective. This I, is not about me. Oh, ouch. Do you see? Okay, yeah, I see. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, the way I was thinking of it wasn't so much as a self-promotion, more as a, you know, here's a tune that I wrote for my students, you know, as an, sure. uh, as an homage, as a gift, and let's play it sure. together. Because I, I, I think they would love to play, you know, their teacher's music. So, um, but it doesn't sound like it would be culturally appropriate. So, <laughs> no, I think that would be fine, but they, they would think it was super lame. <laughs> 
I think. <laughs> now, how uh, you said, um, what ages do you teach? So, 9 to 19, I think. Oh, wow. Okay. So, you have yeah. a, a big variety. So, I'm sure the flavors are all very different and the collaboration is very kind of multi-generational. Yeah, it is. And, and also very like broad when you're thinking of genre even if you're thinking only pop music i mean they listen to all sorts of different music i'm learning a lot about music because i hadn't been teaching for for a couple of years and i was so out of the loop so so it's a real good learning experience for me as well so okay well that that leads me to my next question so we did say a little bit about the music you heard growing up with your parents but what music did you um as a younger person was really, really into. And then what music are you into now when you're not thinking only traditional music? Mm. Back then it was, uh, I had like different faces. I, I, I think I have every Steve Ray Vaughan album. Of course. He ever recorded. Uh, and then it was a lot of Pat Metheny, Yellow Jackets, all that West Coast slick stuff, mm -hmm. Jay Graydon. Uh, so that was most the listening music I had mm -hmm. mostly. And then what was the rest of the question? And so today, what do you listen to when you're not focused on oh. your own music work and all that? Uh, I, I don't really listen to music that much. Uh, I think that ties in with... with with that whole thing of, of music and how I view m the music that we play. Uh, because like for me, folk music is, is the social music. It's the music you play at the kitchen table. Mm -hmm. So for, for me, I think this genre has given me the opportunity to uh, interact with people without having to talk. Mm -hmm. We can just play. Mm -hmm. So it's a good for for a like extrovert introvert person like me. It's a really good way to have like it's like a big comfy like room where we all can sit and just play music and we don't have to talk about it, just play it. Do you feel that the music that you're playing together is a conversation? Uh I think our genre is based on that conversation mm -hmm. that's that's at least how i feel about it i just for me the 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 performance part is really fun and i too have that void in my soul that only applause can fail mm -hmm. but but for me it's it's more about when i think back about uh when i think back to amazing like festivals or or shows or places I visited, it's not really so much about the show and, oh, we play this cool room. It was more about the people mm. there and how the room felt with the audience in there and how they responded to our playing. And if we had a jam afterwards, that could stick for way longer than, than a great show ever could. Yeah, so. yeah I, I've heard that time and time again, for sure, in that uh, 
genre, in that collective, in that community, that at the end of the day, it is the connection, whether it's yeah. with musicians or non-musicians, it's just that whole village of coming together and sharing this explosive joy together. And it is a very, very beautiful thing for sure. Um, I was going to ask you next about your life partner, Lotta, who is also a yeah. musician. And I was wondering, and, and I've, you know, I've seen you guys do some things together. I know it's not the norm. Your usual gigs are with your respective bands and your respective projects, because she's in a, a band as well called Konguru and yep. sings beautifully. I've been in some of her singing classes. And well, first of all, I always say I want to be Lotta when I grow up, even though I'm older than her, uh, but she's a total freaking badass. Um, but I was curious about you, your collaboration together. Now that you're at home together more, are you finding some comfort in creating music together or just conversing without conversing and playing music together? We've been playing like spontaneously more than, than we usually do. But we all have our, uh, have our spaces. I think that's important too, to give each other space to, to process uh, this thing we're all in. Yeah. Especially when 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 you live together with someone, uh, she has her projects. I have my, my projects. I hook up all the electronic things to to the to the iPad, and she goes out in the garden and plants oh. seeds. So oh, she's building beautiful. like a huge garden now because this that's a good thing with being home yeah. for the summer because we can actually like plant stuff and farm it absolutely because normally it would be your busy season for touring and teaching at camps and all of that and so you're exactly that. yeah and, and and that there's always a silver lining but you just said hooking everything to your ipad and and doing all that fun stuff you're a big gear geek you love yeah. gear i know that because yes. when you start chatting with my sons dante neros it's like that's what it usually goes to it's the gear and the mics and i see both you and i are enjoying edwina's today they yes. are both keeping us company with conversing, which is probably why they're probably competing, which is why they're creating a little bit of the glitch that we're experiencing. But <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I love that when, every time you come here, I think unplanned, you go home with a mic or some piece of gear. W when have you discovered that, you know, aside from the music and aside from the recording and the performance, there's something super fascinating about gear and what is it? Like, yeah, tell me. For, for me, it's the, the whole process beforehand, reading about different stuff. And I, I actually read the manual before I get the thing. So, Very smart. And that's just, that's, just my, that's just relaxation for me. I can compare different stuff, and I learn a lot about the, the inner workings of, of different stuff. I'm not a, a good technician in any sense of the word, but I enjoy the, the, the challenge of... of, of learning and understanding how a specific piece of tech works and how I can use it to more streamline my workflow than anything else. Uh, I don't want the best or the like most quality or I just want something that works for me to streamline my workflow. And I think that's, that's really important. When, when we talk about gear, I really want to preface this whole conversation if we're going to dive into gear. What you have is perfect. The thing you can afford, the thing that suits you, the things you inherited, that's amazing. Use it. Because if we're, if I'm absolutely honest, I can't hear the difference between a, 
like $100 mic and a $1,000 mic. It all sounds the same to me. Mm. It makes makes sound to another thing that makes sound. And that's what you need. And sometimes I get that that feeling. For me, with the Ear Trumpet Labs mics, uh, the Edwinas that we both used to record this podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, for me, it was I just saw it on stage and I thought that was beautiful. And I saw a duo playing into one and it sounded like perfect, like mono sound, but it sounded so huge and like warm and nice and cozy. I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. but, and it's so pretty. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I was going to so, say, if anyone's hearing this and is not familiar with Ear Trumpet Labs, which are all handmade in Oregon, uh, phenomenal beautiful gorgeous products so they're they're not only amazing sounding but they really are a work of art now i love the one we have because it's a beautiful thing to look at she is pretty sexy but the boys of course are more into the sound and everything else it does but i love that you said that permission to not feel the pressure of going with what's numerically better and you know what adam that's truly a philosophy of life i think if we all relax a little bit about what we have, what we're blessed with, and just not be so overwhelmed with always wanting the next best thing, the next best thing. I mean, that's a philosophy of life. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And and a lot of, uh, I think that's a trap of, of, of uh, at least it was for me as a young musician, I wanted to get all the gear and some people laughed at my pedal board and that was noisy and stupid. And you, why are you using those cables? and uh, so I, I try to, uh, yeah, not because usually when people ask online, what thing should I get? People respond, I have this thing. You should get this thing mm. that I have because it's the best. But you have to take in, in, into consideration how you use it and, and how what your budget is. And, and the, the best thing might not be the best thing. If you have a really awesome mic that's super sensitive and sounds gorgeous on your instrument, and once you take it on the road, bump it once and it's broken, or you plug it into a, to a sound system that's like from the 60s, you might get horrible noises. And so find what works for you in your own budget. I really want to give you an applause. I'm not going to do that because it'll be obnoxious in the ears of anyone listening and the boys cringe every time I clap into a mic. But I I really (laughs) applaud that, you know, that speech that you just gave because it's so, so true. I know that we're specifically talking about gear right now, but it's truly applicable in everything in life. You know, time and time again, I, you know, we're watching the world unfold into this like pressure you know, of being this or being that or getting this and getting that and continuing the the game of better and better and better. And it's it's causing, I think, a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety in people. And it's also causing a lot of, um, it's compromising the best of who we are because we're no longer able to see clearly and we're clouded by, like you said, someone saying, I have this, so you should get this because it's the best. And um, yeah. yeah, it's a it's a really important thing. I, I appreciate you bringing that up. As I ask you about your gear, and you had an opportunity to go all crazy on me. Instead, <laughs> yeah. you created this really healthy and very guru balanced response. And um, here, here, uh, I do want to ask before we begin the wrap up. Um, I want to ask about your process when you compose. 
Your tunes are really, really beautiful. And they're very, they tell a story without words. How do you write when you compose? And I know this is a hard question and it's almost obnoxious for most musicians or even authors to hear this, but really help us understand those of us who appreciate what you have created. I just want to know what was the process when you sat down and wrote, you know, a particular tune? Uh, I tried to mix up my my way of writing. Uh, when I write on on the guitar, which is my main instrument, I sometimes get stuck in like I play muscle memory stuff, uh, and 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 it's really hard to break out of. Uh, the mold of, of of the style of guitar melody melodies I write, so uh, sometimes I, I I try to sing a lot in the car. It's a really good good way of passing time and also uh, like getting getting stuff out when you're alone and no one can hear you scream. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's how the tune E14 came to be. I wrote it in the car as I was driving because. I just heard the traffic and I saw that I'm home soon and I got that feeling and I was driving a bit too fast. So I think, oh, I need to slow down. And what does this sound like? So I just started to hum hum, hum the melody and then wow. I heard the horn section coming in. So I sang the horn parts and that became the B part. So, Yeah. That's yeah. I try, just try to mix it up, and and also like playing different instruments helps because sure. all, all all the the fiddle has a very different language from from the guitar, and the accordion has a different language from that, and the piano sounds different from that, and and it, it all like evokes different uh, melody structures. So you don't have a story in your head already before you start writing. Like you said, with E14, it's like you were there, and that's the name of the street you were driving on that led leads to home, right? Yeah. And so it's sometimes it's whatever's happening around you is creating that inspiration. Do you ever sit down and say, I want to write a tune about this? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, I, I, it usually starts with a, like a nugget of an idea, like a hook. Mm-hmm. that gets stuck and I need to get it out some some way and sometimes uh, uh, yeah one the the waltz to Anna that's that's a musical problem that I wanted to solve mm-hmm. I, I had this chord that I couldn't fit in to my uh, to my system of comping the traditional music so I, I wanted but how can I fit this chord in so I had to write a tune that that I knew the chord would fit and then I just so that was like a process of understanding the music. So I wrote, that was I was about fifteen or sixteen when I wrote that. Wow. No, nineteen, twenty. Oh, anyway. Wow. So it usually starts with like a nugget of a musical idea, and then I try to. It's like for me, it's like a like a kitty cat. You can't just go up to a kitten and be like, "Hey, kitty," because mm-hmm. <laughs> the kitten will run away, like scared so for me the the if i if i really want to like finish a melody i have to really be gentle and leave it alone and let it like percolate uh, 
yeah until i can pet it and it's really nice and comfy yeah and then it's there i have the chew so in during the whole conversation you've shared so many really neat anecdotes that were you know, reference to a lot of the musical process or the artistic process or the cultural process. And the anecdotes are really um, transparently applicable to anything in life. And that's part of what I love in your storytelling. Every time we've chatted, there's always been something that you've said that I've immediately applied to so many other aspects of life. So that's one of the things I love about just the conversation. I love the the analogy of the kitty cat that you just gave, which is so perfectly true. Before we say goodbye, there's a couple more things I want to do. The first one is we have to say hello to the beard. The beard cannot not be part of this conversation. So okay. for anyone who knows Adam, you know, uh, knows that he has this beautiful, which, you know, in America we would call a ZZ Top beard. I'm sure you're familiar with ZZ Top, right? Yep. Every th- time I work through uh, TSA, there's always uh, someone, hey, ZZ Top, hey, of course. cool. So is this beard, is this look uh, pretty common where you live? Or is it an expression of self-fashion? Uh, <laughs> fashion. Mm-hmm. No. I watch a lot of Project Runway, but I don't think Tim Gunn would approve of my beard. I think they would. Uh, maybe, yeah. No, it's just, it started with a little stubble, and then it was kind of a goatee. And then, I don't know, I just didn't shave for a while. And then I thought, oh, this is pretty cool. And then I just wanted to get to... It's a really hard line between like homeless and wizard. Yes. Uh, and that's the like the barrier you have to push through. And uh, <laughs> now I feel like it's, I don't know, it would be weird to cut it off. But I, I, I had a feeling I, just a couple of days ago from pure like boredom and frustration i just wanted to cut everything off but we'll see i'll I'll keep it for a while we'll see so i'll say you have officially probably arrived at the wizard level because that's what it looks like today i also will say one of the best moments in valley of the moon history was when we were auctioning off for fundraising um your beard and the auction was that you were going to cut your beard for the highest bidder and so people were bidding and But there was a group of us that was so upset about the idea of having the beard cut off that the auction ended up being a cut it off versus don't cut it off. And you had two huge groups fighting over your beard. And I think the don't cut it off won. Correct? It did, yeah. And I, did. I can't remember how much, but we're talking thousands of dollars raised. $2,700. There you go to save yeah. the beard. So it is a very special symbol and and representation of who you are. I still say that it's a fashion statement, whether you accept that compliment or not, it is. Yeah. Uh, it has taken a life of its own. Does it have a name? No. Oh, man. I'm surprised the people that saved your beard didn't name it because it was a crazy, crazy fan base there going on. Um before we say goodbye and before we wrap up, I want to say that I, uh, I, I, I want to curiously put you on the spot and play a rapid fire question game with you. So first answer that comes to mind, snow okay. or rain? Uh, snow. Travel or home? Home. Discussions or reading? 
discussions. Favorite food? <laughs> I love all food. <laughs> all food. Yeah. Composing or performing? Performing. Favorite place in the USA? Uh, anything Northern California and up is everything is all Gucci. Mm. Uh, favorite decade? I don't have a favorite decade. If you think of like movies or music or social or what's a decade that you think is really cool? Oh, if if we're gonna be super specific, I love the shoulder pads of the early '90s on women. It's amazing fashion. Yeah. Okay. Ouch! But okay. It's <laughs> um, awesome. Really? <laughs> it's like robots. Yeah, like with all the yeah, and the light, light washed out colors. It's so <laughs> ugly. It's beautiful. I was a teenager at that time. Um, sunrise <laughs> or sunset? Sunset. And then, how many guitars do you own? Do you know that on the spot? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. Six, I think. Wow. Okay. The last question, which is the most important. You help us solve the mystery of whether pineapple belongs on pizza or no. <laughs> no. Thank you. Thank no you. No way. Yes, thank you. No. That, okay. That's for the fruit salad. Thank, thank you. How smart. Hear it from yeah. chef, the Swedish chef, please, everybody. Uh, Adam, I want to thank you for sticking with this. This was a little glitchier than we wanted. The interview was a little challenging, and hopefully with the majesty and magic and mystery of the behind-the-scenes work that none of that will be noticeable. But it was a little tricky, and I really thank you for sticking with it and hanging in there. This was such a fun conversation. I love how we were able to jump in and out and weave through a lot of these, like, awesome technical aspects of things and really inspirational aspects of things. Any last words you want to share that you didn't get out of your chest? No, just stay safe, take care of each other, make sure you call and, and you know, do the video chat with, with your friends. Cause there, I had a, a call yesterday from a friend who said i was feeling really crappy so crabby and and so i thought i'll call Olam because he's also really crabby <laughs> and so i take that as a compliment so i was really happy yeah staying so connected call your friends and stay safe yeah yeah stay staying connected, connected. wonderful I, i'm so glad we were able to do this during this time we will have another conversation i'm sure in the future face to face because we have done that before and we will get that on recording under very different circumstances but in the meantime i hope for you the same to stay safe to stay busy to remain creative and active and thank you so much for your time it's an honor to have you thank you thanks for keeping in touch podcast is produced and recorded by Dante Falk. Edited and mixed by Eros Falk. Original music by Dante and Eros Falk. Recorded in Olympia, Washington at Casa Nostra Studios. Visit the website jasminefalkdickerson.com.
Ciao for now. Thank you.